Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 239 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we looked at the implications of how easy it has become to fake photos, videos, and other data, and the potential implications for lawyers and others. In this episode, we break the story that it is now summer, and that means it's prime reading time for many people, including us. We wanted to share what's on our reading list for the summer and some of our thoughts about how reading is actually changing these days. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing our summer reading lists. Uh, In our second segment, we're going to take the first of what might be several looks in the upcoming months at tools like IFTTT and Zapier and Flow and and automating your common tasks. Uh, And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, uh, in news that we broke earlier in the podcast, it's now summertime. Well, actually, it's not. Well, it will be summertime by the time that this thing uh, breaks, because uh, we're we're close to June the 20th or 21st or whenever summer starts. And that's the time that many people use to start focus on reading. It's relaxation time. It's beach time, vacation time. Let's bring a book and relax. Uh, Although most of the beach reads tend to be light, entertaining fare, there's still plenty of opportunities to read something that improves how you work, how you use technology, how you look at life. One thing that has changed over time, however, is the move from paper books to digital, and we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Dennis, does it it make sense anymore to say that you've got a stack of books you're going to read this summer? There's a big part of me that wants to say that it doesn't make sense to say that you have a stack of books to read, but I actually have bought a couple books and gotten some books as gifts, so uh, there are some physical books in a stack that I have, but I've made a huge turn in the last few years to ebooks, including the books I borrow uh, from the library, which are all uh, almost all ebooks these days, and, and to audio books as well. How about you, Tom? I mean, I'm pretty uh, pretty boring with that. I haven't bought a paper book in forever. I think the only paper books that I get these days are the are the law practice management books that I get uh, from LPM. But actually, they've started sending me um, ebooks as well. I almost exclusively read everything um, on my Kindle, well, on my iPad app, Kindle app. Uh, but then I probably listen to as many books on audiobook as I do read them. So it's really evenly split, but all of my, quote, reading uh, is digital these days. 
And, and I sort of feel that when I buy a paperback uh, or a hardback book, that the uh, I'm doing it because I think at some point I'm going to have the opportunity to have the author sign it. And that's really almost the biggest motivation. Um, and we've talked time in the past that for me, just as you get older, that sometimes I actually, when I go to, to my library, which is uh, literally about a 10-minute walk away from me, uh, that I scout out books. And, and before I take them out, I see how difficult is the, is the font going to be for me to read and things like that. And I almost always end, end up going um, electronic. I guess that, in a sense, uh, what's interesting to me is how important the library has become to me, but in a different way than I ever expected. And so I, th- I think the resources are different. So I, I never go to a bookstore anymore. Um, and, you know, so I, I'll buy books on Amazon, but a lot of times I just use the library resources. So Overdrive, the, the great book ebook lending tool. There's another one called Hoopla, which your uh, library may be part of. And then I also use uh, Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, which has been described as sort of a Netflix for books. And um, it becomes super easy to get uh, ebooks and and audiobooks. Tom, is, is that sort of your approach as well? I don't. I don't use those other tools because I find what I need um, primarily on Amazon. But I think. I think what's what's nice about what you talk about is there's tons of options. I mean, what's what's what I really find intriguing is that um, is that your public library has made what I think is a very nimble move to digital uh, because otherwise they'd be. <laughs> They they'd be dead. They'd be totally dead. But the fact that um, the fact that they are offering books that you can check out digitally uh, with with just a library card, I think, is pretty amazing. Now, I would say I, I don't know that our move to digital, you know, mirrors everybody in public. We in in the law practice division, we've started to try to understand who's reading paper, who's not. Um, I think maybe on past podcasts we've talked about how younger generations are turning back to paper books and are not using digital anymore. So I don't know that we may be an exception uh, and that younger generations are starting to use more paper, but I'm really encouraged by the fact that there are a lot of different tools out there that if you do want to have something digital, then you have a bunch of ways to get something that would be maybe not... Uh, maybe less mainstream, less traditional things in other places where you might not think to look for publications. So uh, my daughter, who's 26, has a couple bookshelves with uh, that are full of paper books, and you know, in a in a way, it's sort of like that generation's moved back to to vinyl in a sense. But I also think it has something to do with the, the fact that their eyes are 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 still good. Um, but I the the one thing that's that's changed for me over the last year time is and you you've you touched on it is I've found myself moving toward audiobooks more than I ever expected and I, I remember a few months ago you and I had a conversation and I don't think it was on the the podcast about 
how um, what happens when you're on a plane and you're listening to an audio book or you want to listen to an audio book in bed, like you, you read in bed and <laughs> you fall asleep. Yep, no, and you, you have, can't do it on a plane. have no idea at the point where you've, you, uh, you dozed off. And so it's hard to go back and, and find your place or you discover that you've slept through an hour's worth of, of, of the book. Uh, but fortunately, I've learned that there are timers and so you can set 15 minutes or 30 minutes so the actual amount that you've lost may not be that bad so i'm finding myself um on certain types of books moving that direction also i noticed the way books are distributed or the audiobook of a, a brand new book that's in demand is a lot easier to get than say the ebook version that i take off of overdrive or or other things like that and that but that sort of raises the the question that i have on audiobooks uh, Tom and, and that you'll be the expert on this is that and it's analogous to the people who say like if if I travel and I happen to just go to the airport no matter how much time I say there I can't count that state or country on as something I visit to but do you uh, do you count books that you've listened to in the same way and on the same list as books you've actually read I'm gonna say that's not a proper analogy because when you're listening to an audiobook you're experiencing the whole thing you're not just in a small part of the airport that that state happens to be. So to me, that doesn't, that doesn't really hold up. Um, but I, I think certain, so if we're talking literally, no, you're not reading a book, but are you experiencing the book? Heck yeah. And in some ways, um, in some ways you're doing better because, you know, depending on the, the author that you listen to, depending on, uh, if you're listening to fiction, I'll tell you, I've listened to some books that I don't think I would have enjoyed as much in print as I did listening to it because of the life that the reader brought to the book. Um, there was a book I read called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine, and I've got to tell you, it was a very kind of sad but sweet book that the reader that read it made it so much better. I don't think I would have enjoyed the book any better, so I vote yes, it counts. Yeah, I, I noticed the thing where I uh, listened to a book on a recent trip, and I got to say that the audiobook magnifies uh, bad writing. Um, so uh, it was like, I was like kind of astonished at how, I mean, you know, and I think this is a, a, a book that sold well, but it just sounded really amateurish and I'm not sure I would have had the same sense if I, I would have read the book. Well, I will say that, I will say that there are audiobooks that if there's, if the writing is very flowery, if it's very complicated and complex, I think it's harder to listen to as an audiobook. I think you really need to have that in a print because you need to have time to read it and go over each word individually where I think the better written books for audiobooks are the ones that have that narrative that flows more freely. Um, I, 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 can't listen, I can't listen to complicated books on, on audiobook. Yeah, I think the thrillers and the, the spy novels where there's like a, a momentum going. I think some of the business books too actually work pretty well um, uh, when they're spoken, because in some cases they're adapted from presentations anyway. So yeah, so that there's that. The other thing I've noticed, uh, the development for me over the last year, is that um, my habits in reading are, uh, are changing. And I think it's because uh, so many books are now available to me, and that 
um, because they're electronic, I feel that it's much easier for me to abandon books I don't like or to jump to the last chapter and see like if there's, you know, what's the main point of this and whether I want to spend time on it, especially like a book that say is like 800 pages. Um, so I think that that I think is, is uh, a, a real change in, in, in my practice. And I think that the, you know, just the fact that it's ephemeral in its way as opposed to physical may have something to do with that. I want to go to the point of uh, your your usual your annual nag on me to use like one of the tools that you use to keep track of of the books you've read and made them available. And I've always done like a blog post that says that it has the goal of fifty two books in fifty two weeks, and I record things there. But I know that you think that is wholly inadequate. I don't think it's wholly inadequate at all. And 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 frankly. I'm going to reserve judgment on that for now because you're getting to walk all over my my parting shot. So, <laughs> so, so I think so. I think I'd like for you to say, "Here's how you keep track of books," and then we'll talk about mine at the end of the podcast. Okay, so I I do a blog post, and I just uh, many years ago I've I found somebody posted on a blog that there's a 52 books in 52 weeks challenge. So can you read a book a week? And so I just do a blog post at the beginning of the year, and from time to time I update it with with that list with that goal in mind. Um, and so the, the only trouble is, so it's really for me, but people could, could go back and find that blog post and they can find them over the, over the years. But, you know, there are other tools as, as Tom will mention. And I've also been thinking as, uh, that I have this new idea and, and I know this like really reveals my age and stuff, but that I need to start using Instagram more so. And I actually thought that taking pictures of book covers and posting them on Instagram as I finished them might be a good way to both record them, what I've read, and to, and to share it a little bit. So I don't know what you think of that, Tom. I, I, so I, anybody who's seen me on Instagram knows that whenever I take a trip to New York, I like to take a picture of a playbill of every show that I, that I go to. But, um, but I think, I, and, I, and I think that it's something to be able to say, here's a book that I finished. But at the same time, if you wanted to figure out what books you read, how would you do that? And how would you go back to Instagram and discover what you'd read? That's why I think having, your, even your blog post, I think, is better than, and I think Instagram is useful for showing people, hey, books I read, and that's great. But if you're keeping track for yourself, then your blog post is better, and my parting shot is even better than that. Okay. So I don't know, Tom, we decided this year, instead of saying like what we've read in uh, over the past year and really liked, we'd kind of look, look forward. And so um, I guess that, uh, and it's really more of a hope sort of thing. So here's what we hope to read. And I'll, I'll start first time because I actually do have, I looked at this stack of, of, uh, of things that I have queued up. And so the first one is a brand new book called Secrets of Sand Hill Road by Scott Cooper. And it's, uh, he's like a big venture capitalist and he writes sort of like the how-to plain language uh, uh, book about venture capital and how it works in a way that uh, it says it's targeted for the, the business owner, the entrepreneur, rather than a venture capitalist. So I'm, I'm very excited about that, Tom. Not to... It, 
because uh, I, I feel like I need to learn more about that. And we were talking before the show about the just uh, incredible amounts of venture capital flowing into the legal tech world these days in ways that I must confess don't totally make sense to me. But uh, I figure if I read this book, Tom, that maybe we can uh, figure out a way to get uh, venture capital investment in the Kennedy Mile Report uh, empire once we get it going. So that's one of my hopes with that book. There's also a book that I really want to leave uh, read on design thinking uh, as it applies to your whole life by Ache Bursell, who is a de- designer. It's called Design the Life You Love. Um, I also want to learn more about uh, quick drawing um, in connection, again, with design thinking. And so I have a book called Rapid Viz by Kurt Hanks and Larry Belliston. And I have this interest in genetics, as I've mentioned before. So um, I have a, a book ready to read, Who We Are and How We Got There by David Reich. And then I'm looking at kind of relearning the investment world. So uh, I have The uh, Complete Investor by Charlie Munger of uh, Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett fame uh, also on my list. So that's my stack, Tom. I don't know what you have. Well, so there are four... I'm going to talk about fiction in a little bit, but there are four nonfiction books that I'm that I'm that I'm interested in looking at. And the first one, actually, I have to confess, is a book that Dennis you made me start to read a couple of months ago, and then I never finished it. So I need to finish "Measure What Matters" by John Doerr. It's a a, a book about uh, about OKRs, objectives, and key results, sort of an alternative or a different way of measuring things and a different way of looking at metrics. Um, I need to finish that. I think it's a very interesting way of looking at things and something that I can definitely apply to the work that we do in information governance. To the point of our last podcast on digital mindfulness, there are two books out. It seems like that seems to be the topic all the way around. And so uh, one of them is called Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World by Cal Newport. So if you're familiar with Cal Newport, he wrote the book on deep work, which is an awesome book on how to get work done uh, and focus on things. And he has a new book now on digital minimalism. So I want to Maybe take a look at that, or alternatively, a book called Life Scale, How to Live a More Creative, Productive, and Happy Life. They're both on the same lines. I think the second one makes it sound a little bit more like... uh, like uh, get away from technology and you'll be much much happier. The other one uh, looks like it's more focused life. Um, and then the other book is kind of an interesting one. It's called uh, it's called Loon Shots: How to Nurture the Crazy Ideas That Win Wars, Cure Diseases, and Transform Industries. I was talking with a friend the other day about how uh, he was more based in reality and was not looking at things that that were impossible or close to impossible. And I think that this book looks at that and takes a look and says if you're you're not looking at what might be impossible, that things that are crazy, then you may very well be missing out on a lot of things that uh, that can be important or can be uh, uh, can change the world. I, I, I hope I'm not saying things too much by uh, uh, blowing things too much out of proportion by saying it that way. But uh, Loon Shots is by Safi Bakal, uh, and it uh, looks like a really interesting book. So those are the ones that are kind of on my radar right now in terms of nonfiction. Yeah, Loon Shots is on on my radar, although often the distance a little bit. So I have uh, so my so I have plans, and this will get me into the fiction world. So, um, as you know, Tom and and other listeners may know, I sort of uh, have gotten into this thing over maybe the last five years or so, where I find usually detective uh, novels, and I read 
all the books by a given author. Um, and that's that's been uh, really fun for me. So I'm actually getting to, uh, toward the end of the great series of uh, Sharon McCone, uh, detective novels by Marsha Miller. They're set in San Francisco. Uh, obviously, a, a woman lead character, uh, really great kind of ensemble approach, uh, good stories, uh, fairly short reads. Surprised me it hasn't been made into a, a TV show because I think it could work the same way that like a Longmire or, or one of those shows based on a, a, a book has done. So that's, that's uh, definitely in the hopper for me. Uh, clearly more innovation and design books um, uh, as I try to, to really uh, dive deeply into that world. And then uh, I'm all about uh, the, the 50th anniversary of the, uh, the, the moon landing, and I'm expecting to totally binge whatever books I can get my hands on uh, about uh, the Apollo program. Yeah, so for me, there's two fiction books that I'm that I'm looking forward to. Anybody who knows me knows that I like uh, books that tend to be more fantasy than anything else when I read fiction. And there's a, a relatively new book out called How to Stop Time by Matt Haig, which is kind of a love story. It's a, a guy who is hundreds of years old because he's found out that he doesn't age. He's, he's He looks 40 years old, but he's hundreds of years old. And uh, he suddenly meets somebody who's who is aging who he falls in love with. What do you do? when you can't do that. How does that whole thing work out? I'm kind of intrigued with the notion of stopping time. And then the other book that I'm reading won the National Book Award this year. It's called The Overstory. I'm sorry, the other book I want to read. It's called The Overstory. It's by Richard Powers. Um, it's I think it's a sort of historical fiction, but it's about the natural world and what's happening to it. So um, getting lots of great reviews. I'm looking forward to reading that as well. And I just, uh, before we kind of wrap up, Tom, I just want to mention this this book I've read that I think is a total must read. And I just, I keep mentioning it to everybody I know. It's called Invisible Women by uh, Carolyn Criado Perez. She's in the UK. She actually, they did like a a crowdfunding thing today as we record uh, where she they raised enough money to buy copies of this book for everybody in the, the UK parliament. Um, and it's about the uh, looking at the ways that uh, it's a database approach, looking at uh, what uh, how we look at women, how we get data about women, how uh, the whole world is designed for the the average man, um, and all these issues that develop because we kind of just take everything from the male point of view. And it's like I said, it's data and evidence based. Uh, um, she's she's just a, a really powerful writer, and uh, and I think it's a book that really will change your perspective on many things. You know, it's funny when I saw your note in our in our script in the, in what we use for this, and I saw must reads for listeners. My mind immediately thought um, must reads for audiobook listeners. I didn't think that we were talking about podcast listeners. So the the example that I have actually is an audiobook that I listened to a couple of months ago that I highly recommend. It's called Circe. Uh, it's by Madeline Miller, and it's about the the not a goddess. She was sort of a demigoddess, but it, she was from mythology. She's the the witch who enchanted Odysseus, and she created Scylla of Scylla and Charybdis. And um, it's a it's an imagining of what if they told her story, sort of in modern tone, and uh, a great 
great telling of it on the audiobook. I don't think I would have enjoyed the book as much. Again, it was an example of one where the person reading it brought it to life so much better than you could have seen it on the page. So, Tom, I, I guess as we wrap up, I I always know that my uh, capacity to read is probably a lot higher than, than many other people. But what's sort of realistic? Because I, I do think, especially over the summer, one book per week is is a realistic approach in that you can get a, a decent number of books read over the summer, especially if you're not buying those, you know, like 900-page uh, historical romances. Um, so I don't know, Tom, what, what do you think is reasonable? that our, our listeners should shoot for over the summer? Well, for those of us who have day jobs, then I will still fa- say that one book per week is not realistic. If you are taking off several weeks or you're on vacation or you have an otherwise life of leisure, then that may be realistic. I'm not getting to one book per week in the summer or otherwise ever. But on the other hand, I'm getting ready to go on vacation, and I probably, between airplane rides and train rides and other leisure times, I'll probably, in two weeks' time, get through two or three books. So, not unusual, but um, I, so I, don't, I, I don't push it. I say, read as fast or as slow as you can, because summer is about enjoying yourself, and whether it's a book or something else that lets you do it, then take the time and make sure you enjoy the book, rather than try and keep to some kind of a timetable. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess time to wrap it up. I, my thought is the practical thing for people is to, I think it's a really great time to say, let me try all these kind of alternative uh, reading media forms that are out there. And you know, like if I'm only reading uh, the the traditional book, like, well, maybe I try some eBooks and maybe I try, you know, an Overdrive or I try Kindle. The experiences are slightly, slightly different. Or if I've never done an audiobook, maybe this is a great time to do it. So I think it's, uh, um, there's a lot happening out there. And uh, I, I think it's a good time to do a little experimenting, even in the sort of traditional realm of reading. All right, before we go on to our next segment, let's take a break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. Text Expander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom and I have been talking about automation of standard tasks and getting more bang for our computing uh, efforts. 
So we've talked a lot about if this, then that, or IFTTT, uh, which I used recently to save all my Twitter likes in one place, and Zapier, and, and there are some, some others as well. It feels like we're not using these tools as well and as often as, as we should be. Uh, so we wanted to start talking about them and how we all might use them f- and, and do that from time to time in the podcast. Uh, and this will be the first segment on this notion of automation and using those standard tools. And I think for this one time, it probably just makes sense to introduce the tools and how we have used them so far. Tom, do you want to be the lead introducer? Sure. So these tools at their heart are designed to make different applications work with each other. So tools on the internet that might not otherwise be connected can be connected using IFTTT or Zapier or Microsoft Flow. Um, And uh, what's I think what's interesting about these tools is that as technology keeps improving, some of the functionality that some of these services use get taken over by an app that that actually can do all of it now or or a service that you have that originally you're using IFTTT to save all your Twitter likes in one place, suddenly Twitter's doing that for you. They're not, but I'm just giving that as an example. Um, But technology is starting to catch up with these tools, which I think changes the way that we're using them. And to be real honest, I haven't used... Um, either IFTTT or Zapier that much in the past couple of years. Uh, I just haven't really needed it. But let me give an example of of what I have used it for in the past, and then I'm going to talk about what I use Microsoft Flow for right now. Um, for example, I, I would save articles in Pocket. I would read them, and if I marked it as a favorite in Pocket, then IFTTT would automatically convert it to a PDF and save it to my Dropbox account. So I'd have a PDF of an article on the internet that I'd read that I enjoyed. Um, I, one of the ones that was most useful, doesn't really work anymore for some reason, but if someone adds a picture of me in Facebook, it automatically saved a copy of that picture to Dropbox. So nice way to keep copies of things. Quality of the pictures, not so great, but at least I was aware that there were pictures that were showing up of me. Um, And then at one point in time, when I was still using my Amazon Echo, I would send to-dos to Todoist through IFTTT. Now both Alexa and Google Assistant have that functionality built in. You don't need a connector. And that's the kind of the example that I was thinking of when I said earlier, these tools are evolving to eliminate the need for some of these tools. Now, really quickly, um, what I'm using Microsoft Flow for is really much more applicable to what I do at work. So we created a PTO calendar using Microsoft Flow so that someone can go onto a website, click a button, request PTO, I get an email, a request that I can then approve or decline. If I approve it, the person gets an email back saying it's been approved, and it then goes on to a general work calendar so that everybody can see when everybody else is out on vacation or otherwise out. Um, If it gets declined, it doesn't go on the calendar, and the person gets an email. I think it's a really nice workflow product that Microsoft Flow has. The other one is I have a set of repeating reminders that I want to send out to my team each week, and the, the tool that we're using, Microsoft Planner, doesn't allow that. However, I can create repeating reminders using Planner so that every Monday at 10 o'clock, boom, a new set of reminders goes out and I don't have to go create them myself. Um, So that's kind of how I'm currently using. I kind of spent a long time talking about it. Dennis, what are you using these tools for? 
So what I like about these tools is it, they actually use one of my favorite technologies, APIs or application programming interfaces, but they use it in a consumer way for the, us regular users in, in a way that that's sort of sort of hidden. So they're allowing like different different services really to communicate with each other and to and so you could send your data put your data in one place send it to another place and have it used and, and get the result that you want i actually find it time where, where i've started to use it more is when i wish that an app was doing something that it doesn't seem to be able to do either because it just doesn't do that or i'm not able to find it and so that was that was my thing recently where i said you know i i like a bunch of tweets and my notion was always i could go back and look through those and that would be like another uh research uh, database for me if you will and I couldn't how to figure out how to do it in in the the Twitter related apps, and so I went on to if this and that, and and there were what do you call them recipes or whatever the word they they use for it, where you can just like I want to use this, and um, there was one that said take a Twitter like, and if I like something on Twitter, send it to Microsoft OneNote, and there's another one to send it to Evernote. And then I just log into the appropriate accounts. And then anytime I like something in Twitter, it goes into OneNote and it goes in, into Evernote. Um, so it becomes really useful in both of those cases. I also did a thing in the past where so if I tweeted something, it would automatically post as a Facebook update. I don't do that anymore. But that's another example. And then there's another one that I sometimes use where I can do a tweet. And if I use a hashtag LI, will automatically post it as a LinkedIn update. So you're looking at something that will do these things that you would like to do that are fairly simple. And they're sort of um, moving something you did in one place to repurpose it in another place. And I think it's just a... Uh, a great little tool and you can start to as you look through if this and that there's a whole bunch of these that are already created and you can search through them by the services involved and things like that and you can find some stuff that um, will take care of some things that either you would really like or have been kind of annoyance to you and I think Tom your examples with uh, you know saving saving pictures that you're in and stuff like that are, are actually really great examples of how those tools uh, would work. So that that will get you started on our discussion of these types of tools, and then we'll revisit those from time to time as we and, and maybe dig a little deeper into them. But now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, now I can talk about the tool that I use to track the books that I read. I wanted to talk about it here because I really think more people should be using Goodreads. If you're not using it, I think it's a great way um, to, to, to one, uh, feel how people are rating books, um, but two, keep track of what you've got. And what's interesting to me, and, and whether you like this or not, um, Amazon purchased Goodreads a number of years ago. And so whenever I 
buy an Amazon book now, it automatically adds it to my currently reading list in Goodreads. And then when I finish it, it automatically posts that I finished the book, um, which I, I'm not sure how I feel about, but I sort of like the fact that it's connected to each other. So I'm, I'm, I'm not totally bothered by it. But what I like most about it is one, I can have a reading challenge there. So Dennis, you have 52 books in 52 weeks, but you've got to keep track of that yourself. I can at any moment go to my homepage on my Goodreads account and I can see where I am and how I stand and how I'm comparing against my friends on Goodreads because it's social. That's the other part that I like about it is, is that I have different people that I follow and they will review books and occasionally they'll review a book that I would like to read. So it's nice as a recommendation tool to find out other books that my friends are reading, um, but it's also a, a, a way to find out new things, and uh, and I really, I really think that it's a great tool for understanding ratings on books and how, pe- you know, there's lots and lots and lots of book reviews on there, um, but it's a great, it's an overall great book site that I recommend to anybody, so goodreads.com. You know, I like the concept, and I like the, the social element there, although I, I think Tom, you may recall that we had friends who posted some of the things they read on Facebook, and they were not really things that we actually wanted to know about them. So, so there were some some things taking a cut there. So, I I uh, I want to recommend this uh, uh, site called FiveBooks.com, and this is a kind of a uh, interesting variation on the the social thing because you could say one thing you could say I like to know what my friends would read, but this takes a point of view of saying like i would like to know like what somebody who is an expert in a topic would say are the five best books to get you to you know to help you learn about this this particular field or topic and that's what five books does and so it could be uh you know it could be something on genetics it could be something on you know any number of things you know like best detective novels that sort of thing but somebody who's a real expert in it will list their top five and what i like is it's done as an interview and and the these interviews about the five books and describing them uh, are almost work as a standalone. So this gives you not only these this list of five potential books to read on a topic that you're interested to, but just reading that interview about the books um, is just a great entry point in into the topic. So um, highly recommend that fivebooks.com. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all our previous podcasts. Or suggest a topic. We've got a page set up at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash two, capital Q, capital N, W-H capital Z-U. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us a voicemail. Our number is 720-441-6820. Remember, we really like getting questions for our B segment, so don't be shy. Leave us a number at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book. 
The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.